Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast. I am excited that you guys are here. If this is your first time joining the show, welcome aboard. Uh, You're in for a treat, and we've got a lot of really great, awesome information coming your way. And if you are a returning listener, time and time again, thank you so very much. You guys are absolutely awesome. You rock. Um, you know, I've gotten a chance to actually know quite a few people that have been writing in and asking for, you know, quick references to information or opinion or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun getting to know you guys. So thank you very much. This is just absolutely awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. So we're here to talk to you guys and to share with you the what and the how in human resources. And I'm in the human business, which means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and certainly manage. And holy cow, That statement could not be more true than what we're experiencing right now. Uh, But today, most importantly, we're going to be talking about, we've got some employment law changes across the nation, and I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these. Our main topic today is just to remind you guys, look, you're not alone. And this is a part one of a two-part series where we've got HR pros that are asking the questions. And next episode... If you've been listening, I've been talking to you about the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group and the membership site. Well, we're going to have actual members from the Facebook group coming to share, and we're just going to kind of do an HR roundtable. So it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm really, really, really excited about it, actually. So that's going to be next week. They're an awesome group of people. Um, had a chance to, I've, I've spoken to just about everybody and they're, they're awesome and they're highly engaged and they've got really, really great stories, great feedback, great insight. And they're just a, an awesome group of people. I really enjoy working with them. Um, we're going to talk to you about some upcoming events. We are going to forego the HR question of the day yet again, simply because, uh, this episode is all about HR questions. So we don't want to get, we don't want to do a baker's dozen, right? And then there towards the back end, I'm going to teach you how to get best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Now, folks, before we go forward, the information available in this podcast is, in fact, for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. And if you do not have an employment attorney, you are welcome to go ahead and reach out to me and I might be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. Okay, so what we've got happening across the U.S. here, the OFCCP has released new scheduling letters and a couple of changes for federal contractors. So if you're a federal contractor, make sure that you are up to date on what's going on with the OFCCP scheduling letters. Also, the Department of Labor has now published a fourth round of frequently asked questions on the paid leave law that reinforces their position on the shelter-in-place and isolation orders, as well as reasons for paid sick leave. So you guys might want to check that out. 
The Department of Labor also has issued regula <laughs> regulations, can't say it, implementing the new emergency paid sick leave and paid FMLA leave law. Um, also, OSHA has weighed in, has issued enforcement policies on respiratory protection. San Diego, in the county of San Diego, California has updated a new health order. There's new postings and facial covering requirements for essential employers and warnings regarding increased enforcement. So if you guys are in that area, definitely look, definitely look in on that one. Um, uh, also, there's a new shelter-in-place order in the Bay Area that has been implemented and additional restrictions placed on businesses and residents. Also in the city of Los Angeles, there's a supplemental uh, COVID-19 paid sick leave that looks like it's going to go forward, but it supersede, has been superseded by the mayor's public order. So looks like there's some confusion going out there. And if you're listening in and over in L.A., uh, definitely keep your fingers on the pulse of that. Also, over in the California Court of Appeals, they have addressed whether there are limits to vacation payout requirements for unlimited vacation policies. And unlimited vacation is kind of one of those tricky things because it's um that's a whole nother show but you don't want to be in a position to where somebody can take advantage overly advantage of it connecticut has imposed safe workplace rules for essential businesses over in louisiana something that has absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus um, they have identified that defining business in Louisiana non-compete agreements is essential uh, through an appellate court uh, ruling that just came out not too long ago. Over in New York, there has been new mandates prevail for prevailing wages for private construction. And New York also enacts statewide permanent paid sick leave law. Definitely, if you're in New York, you're going to want to look at that. <clears throat> and lastly, over at Pennsylvania, the Secretary of Health has issued orders maintaining that building owners have to clean high-touch areas in accordance with CDC guidance. So, folks, that is what is going on. I'm so sorry that we don't have anything else other than the coronavirus stuff going on. But, boy, that's what this whole world is dealing with right now. But we're going to get into that a little bit today. But what we're really going to be talking about is just reminding yourselves that you are not alone. and everything that I do, I am constantly exposed to a wide variety of questions that HR professionals across the country are asking questions. And so I decided to compile several of them together. So there might be some information out there that is helpful for you. And these are some of the things that, not these questions specific, but these are along the lines that in our group we actually talk about. Um, the, it's a it's a growing group. We've only been around since January 6th. We have 132 members as of today. It's continually growing, and um, and they're just a really solid group of people. I really enjoy working with them. But here are some kind of sample questions that I come across that I figured would be very helpful for you guys to hear some opinions and some potential answers that might help you figure out what it is that you could be going through that could be similar. Okay, so... And not all of them are involving the coronavirus, I promise. I wanted to give you guys something, a couple other flavors, because after all, look, we're still dealing with the rest of everything else that we have to deal with, not just the, not just the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so it says, today I received an email from my boss stating that she wants to begin hiring again, but that she wanted to try and do so without having any actual contact with the new hires. 
We haven't implemented electronic onboarding for the new hire paperwork, so I'm unsure how I should handle this hiring if we don't have an electronic onboarding system. Do you have any suggestions on how I could go about this hiring process without having contact with the new hire? Yeah, there's actually a couple things that you can do. And it's a little old school, but this could be something that you might want to consider. So first off, if we're just talking about onboarding people, now one of the things that I used to do in a previous job where I came from before when we did have an onboarding system to not having an onboarding system, and then I went into a, a company where we had an onboarding system. And so what I wound up doing was actually putting all of the onboarding documentation that needed to be done, including the I-9, into an overnight package and actually shipped it out. Now, I understand that cost is everything right now, but you know what? This particular type of cost could potentially be warranted. Um, and that actually got the information to the employee. Um, if it had to do with doing like a background check or anything, I would send all of the paperwork that would require the authorization. And I would also include a return envelope. So with the specific instructions for each document on a separate piece of paper. And so the employees, you know, the, the new hires would go through and they would fill out all the paperwork and they'd send it back. And then if we had any problems, then we would figure out a way to work through it. Now, the good news is, is that with the I-9, um, the, the uh, USCIS has actually relaxed the standards on inspecting a document. You can actually do it virtually. That's not a problem. Um, you don't want to just rely on somebody making a photocopy of a document and sending it over, but that's certainly doable. So old school way sending everything out through a FedEx pack or overnight UPS or DHL or whatever you're using and then having it sent back will actually meet the needs. Now, if they do have to go to, um, you know, to go get a urolysis or something like that at a clinic, if you have a system, like we have an affiliate agreement with uh, eScreen, which just simply means that um, we've got some reduced pricing, that eScreen is a really awesome system. I've used it for years. I really like the system. And it allows you to actually find um, clinics and locations within, I think the, the furthest one away I've ever had to find in a remote area was like 20 miles. Anyway, so you can get all that set up. You can do everything right on the computer. The employee, all they need to do is just show up with their driver's license and the printable or scannable quote-unquote passport that they use, and then they actually conduct the rapid test right there in the facility itself. So, you know, there's there's other ways of doing this. Um, you know what? You just make a document, a checklist of everything that you need, send it out, get it back, and then you guys can go ahead and uh, continue on with your onboarding. Okay. Next question. If an employee was caught drunk at work, would you include details in the term letter or just that you're being terminated due to intoxication at work? Well, <laughs> so if this was somebody you caught drunk at work on site, um, I wouldn't necessarily be giving them a letter. I mean, I would give, I would send out a letter explaining, you know, benefits and stuff like that. This is just me. I'm, I'm not particular for a situation like this about sending out a letter, but you know, you can stipulate that, you know, with the separation comes, you know, here's your information about your benefits when you're, they're going to expire, you know, talk about, um, you know, continuous coverage. If you're under 20, if you're, you know, 20 and over, then it's, you know, Cobra. Um, I, you know, it's, that's kind of one of those things that it doesn't necessarily need to be put in a letter in my opinion, but I would absolutely document it for certain uh, to make sure that it is in that employee's file. Okay, I have an employee we suspect using 
The COVID-19 is an excuse to get out of work. Run into this with a few other of uh, my clients as well, so I, I completely get it. She did not show up to work on this date and has been out ever since. <clears throat> Never called, et cetera. My manager called her on another date, and she answered and said their whole family is sick, and she's being tested for the coronavirus. We've not heard from her since. Despite several attempts to contact her, we've been emailing and leaving voicemail, stating she is qualified under the new laws if we can get some documentation to receive pay. While she's out, but no response. How would you handle this? Well, here's the thing. She's acknowledged once, but she has refused to continue to be in communication. I think I think after a couple of attempts, it you stop at that point. Okay. Um, if there is a chance that she could be in the hospital, hopefully somebody in her family will let you guys know. Um, you can contact the emergency contact if you like. But since she has responded once, and if it turns out that her uh, coronavirus situation is legitimate, and um, hopefully she actually you know recovers from that and approaches you with an intent to come back to work, I think then you cross that bridge when you get there. I mean, I, I think you I think you have to know more about the circumstances to make a determination. Um, if you're going to go ahead and allow her to come back in. But I think after a certain period of time, even though you've made an honorable attempt to get a hold of the employee, they, you'd have to look at what your policies are in the handbook. But if you don't, you know, if you have a no-show, no-call from an employee, especially after several attempts, and you still don't hear from them, I think it's appropriate to go ahead and actually separate from the employee. And like I said, if she did get sick and she comes back to work, or reaches out back to the employment, then you know what, you guys can cross that bridge when you get there once you have more information. All right, next question. I have a soon-to-be mom that has been on her job for nine months. She's high risk and there's been three confirmed cases of coronavirus at her workplace. She asked to be able to take time off to protect herself and her newborn. She received a doctor's note stating that she's high risk and cannot work. Her job said that she cannot take any time off because she doesn't qualify and if that if she did, they would fire her. If there's anything to protect her against this situation. Yes, absolutely. It's called Title VII. <laughs> and Title VII is that you cannot discriminate against a woman who is in her pregnancy or is part is you know in the process of recovering from uh, delivery from her pregnancy. So that's one of them. Now, it all she could also potentially be with American with Disabilities Act, but probably not because in this case, um, pregnancy is actually temporary, and if she's high risk then after she returns to full healing from giving birth, then um, her her uh, classification loosely, quote unquote, is being defined as disabled. Therefore, it's a temporary disability rather than something that is a long life disability. So definitely under Title VII, she is protected. Okay, next question. <clears throat> My friend has been working a job for over two years in the financial industry. The company that she worked for was purchased by another company. Now, mind you, when she first started working, she had to submit to a background check, and the company ran another background check and found out that she had a felony from 30 years ago, and then they termed her. Can they do this now since she had been working for two years, and what is her recourse? Well, that's a really good question, and um, this, being that this is a question on behalf of a friend, uh, this is not an uncommon question, uh, maybe not necessarily in the 30 years and the felony thing, but this is not certainly not an, an uncommon approach where somebody is asking on somebody else's behalf. So my first comment to this would be, if she's in the financial industry, the question is, what was the felony? And 
how how did it pertain to the actual job? I think this is this is not a, an, a question that can be answered immediately. I think we would have to know how the felony uh, is in relation, to, you know, to the position. If she was caught uh, manipulating financial records uh, to her benefit, or she was embezzling funds to her bezel to her benefit, does the company have the ability to to terminate her? Possibly. I mean, it again, we don't have all that information, but these are some things that would need to go into consideration, even if it was 30 years ago. My question would be back to the company is why after they hired her, did they suddenly find reason to go back and do a thorough background check 30 years into her history? My guess is that in this situation, there's something else going on that we're not privy to. She could be up for a promotion um, that as part of a higher level of responsibility in the financial industry would require them doing a much deeper background check on her. I don't know, especially if she's uh, up for managing millions and millions, possibly billion dollars in assets. That That is not out of the question as to why they would do it, um, but it would be certainly interesting to find out. Okay, next question on. All right, I am very early on in my career and currently running the HR department and need some help. That's why we're here. We're having issues with our sales staff submitting reimbursement requests, and they submit these requests two to three months late, sometimes even later. This becomes a major issue with our accounting department because that person has to backdate months and becomes a mess when it comes to giving these payouts. So we also have to reimburse our staff at a certain amount at a given time because they are holding these requests for months and it can also pose a major issue. We're trying to add new protocols for submitting reimbursement requests, but I'm not sure where to put it. I thought about making an amendment to our employee handbook, but there's some more issues beyond that. There is a team in another, so they've got multiple locations and one of their teams is refusing to sign their documentation and the employee handbook that they just revamped <clears throat> because they feel that this actually oversteps a normal employee handbook and they're actually trying to work through that. It's been months, but she's still not been able to get what the, get to what the actual issues are. She writes, I'm not sure if there's a document that I can make and have them sign off or if it should be an employee handbook. I prefer to have it be completely separate document, but I do not know where to start. I just don't know what I should do in this case. Getting reimbursed only applies to certain people and her. So this is my, this is my comment back. So first off, I don't believe this is an HR issue. I believe this is a leadership issue. And, um, I brought this same question to the group over in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group, and I posed this out there, and that was my feedback, that this is a leadership issue. And the expectation is that these people are to have their financial uh, requests put in by a certain period of time. If they don't, the company has every right to go ahead and deny them if they exceed a certain period of time. Now, I would also warrant that a company should also check with their uh, with their state laws when it comes to employee reimbursements to see if there's anything in there that they have to be mindful of. So I had this issue. As a matter of fact, I don't think that there's a company I've worked at that hasn't had this exact same issue. And I remember I worked with a teammate that for two years didn't submit a reimbursement report, but she kept all of the records. And so 
this that's two years of having to go back and pay all of that. I mean, it's a massive sum of money that a company was not planning on paying out, which the employee was entitled to because the company didn't have any boundaries as to time. So, you know, it, so over time they did wind up putting in place and, and it got to the point where if they didn't pay it after a certain period of time, they were no longer entitled to it. So um, even at the company that I, you know, several of them that I was working in myself, we had the same kind of boundaries. And, the, and I'll promise you that the first time that somebody does not get paid because they didn't do their part and the company is well within their rights to do that based off of state law and other fiduciary responsibilities that they have, I guarantee you this problem will go away relatively quickly. I'm not saying within seven, you know, seven days or something like that. I mean, my, my policies that I had, even with the companies that I worked for just as a consultant, was 60 days. And if you didn't get your reimbursements in within 60 days, you were no longer eligible for them. So this is a leadership issue. And like I said, the first person that doesn't get paid <clears throat> after that 60 days is up and they are told that they are no longer eligible. I guarantee you that person is never going to do that again because nobody will respect their money more than you do. <laughs> okay. Nobody on this earth will respect your money more than you do. So all right. So what do you do when HR is the one subject to bullying, harassment, and discrimination? Well, that's easy. You leave. You go get another job. Um, nobody, in my opinion, should be uh, subjected to bullying, harassment, and discrimination. Um, I've run into that myself in my career, and that's exactly what I did. I got another job. Um, just have some, have, if you're in that position, find, you, you're talented. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Go out there figure out what it is that you do the best and just absolutely crush it. We have exempt consultants who work standard office hours, but sometimes have to do client projects on nights and weekends. How can we pay them extra for the extra work without violating FLSA? Well, first off, under FLSA, an exempt employee can, will be paid regardless of how much they have worked or have not worked with so long as they've performed work within a week. Okay. They are, they will get their established salary for that week. Um, if you want to pay them extra for doing extra work, I don't think that's a problem. I think, uh, probably the best way to do that is through a bonus. But I think what you really need to do is you also have to find objectivity when issuing out a bonus like that. Um, because, you can have other people who are doing extra work and not getting reimbursed for it or not getting some form of compensation for it. So I think you have to be very careful about how you proceed in that. All right, employer under 50 employees and cannot have people working from home. Uh, we've had to lay off some staff and now they're now we're getting money with the PPP program through the CARES Act and we'll start calling the staff back. We have two employees over 60 who do not want to come back to work due to being high risk as a result of their age. What are our options? Do they stay home and get unemployment? Do they quit and get unemployment? Do we require them to come to work? You know, this is a delicate situation. And you guys have heard me say this before in the past. HR is all about finding the balance between doing what's in the best interest of the employee and doing what's in the best interest of the employer. And this particular situation, by all means, is no different, okay? I've got a couple of ideas on this. So if they are employees who are over the age of 60, 
and are being recalled, but they are saying that they do not want to come back due to being high risk for their age. My question is, are they able to work from home? That would be my first question. If they're not in a position where they can work from home, we're kind of on the cusp of figuring out what this country is going to do. If the stay-at-home and shelter-in-place um, regulations in your particular state are, are coming close to being lifted, and if they are currently, currently uh, taking unemployment right now, and they are being called back but refusing to come in, I think you've got a couple of options. Number one, I think you can um, see if they, if you know, if they're not essential, then see if there's other individuals that would be willing to come back in because some people would rather they get paid full or not. I mean, this is an unprecedented time. Even I'm struggling with this one, to be honest with you. I also think one of the other things that you guys can do is if they are not getting unemployment, if they have not filed, to see if they want to go ahead and take a 30-day unpaid leave. Now, likely they are getting some form of unemployment. They're also at an age where they could probably also take distribution from their life insurance ahead of time. So um, I think there's several different options that you can explore. And you would likely need to explore this with your employment attorney because this is also a situation where I don't know the context of where this individual is working or where these folks are working. I don't know if they're essential staff. don't know if they're taking unemployment. Um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns, but I think there's also an element of compassion that needs to be exercised here. And if they're high risk and they're unable to come into work because, you know, they have a physician that is advising them not to, then I think you're in a better position. Now, if they haven't sought, um, you know, the advice of a physician, then I think you have to make a judgment call. I think you have to judge and figure out, should we bring these two employees back because they are at high risk? So I think really in this situation, you guys need to lead with compassion rather than compliance. But bear in mind that right after compassion should be compliance as well, okay? You also want to make sure that if you're making a determination that if you have any other employees who are older that are asking for the same thing, you're now setting a precedence. And I think at that point, then you have to, what you do for one, you do for all, okay? All right, looking for I-9 advice. Next question. We've attempted to use the fillable PDF on the USCIS site, but it either doesn't open or if it does, it won't allow for a digital signature. Has anyone else had success with the digital I-9? Yeah, so the thing is, is that they don't allow you to do a digital signature. The only way you can get a digital, gosh, I can't say it, digital signature is if you are using an I, if you're filling out an I-9 through a bona fide HRIS system that has connectivity and has all of the necessary requirements for you to do an I-9 online. The individual has to sign it by hand, okay? That is, uh, I believe that's actually in the M274 regulation book. So um, digital, you can do almost everything else, but the signatures are completely different. It won't permit it. A friend of mine has asked the following question. At first, I was appalled by it, but then, thought, then though, it led me to ask uh, my group of experts, do you know anything about a new labor law being passed that states that certain age groups are not eligible for hire because of the virus? Okay, that's bunk. <laughs> There's no such thing out there. 
that is no such law that is being passed that states that certain age groups are not eligible for hire because of the virus. That is a load of crap. I'm going to tell you that right now. That would violate every, like Title VII. It would violate age discrimination laws. I mean, there's nothing out there. It, it would violate child labor laws. Yeah, that's a load of crap. I'm just saying it right now. There's another great word that I would use for it, but that's a load of crap. No. And that, and you know what? That's a great example. This is what happens. This is what happens to employees. This is a perfect example, right? I can't, oh my gosh, this is a great time. I'm so glad I included this one. This is a perfect example of what poor employees go through. They hear something, they don't look into it, and all of a sudden it becomes a Grendel, like it, it builds its own head. And then they don't know where to go to look for it. And then all of a sudden that just continues the story, right? And if they do try and search it, they don't understand the context of what it is that we as HR professionals study. So these poor guys, I'm telling you. But you know what? Also shame on them for constantly passing around information that they haven't gone and validated. So it's a two-way street. But yeah, this is exactly what, this is what, this textbook example of what happens with employees. Okay, if an employer allows, last question, if an employer allows employees to incur a negative PTO balance during the pandemic and the employee quits, can the employer deduct for that negative from any wages to be paid to the employee or otherwise recoup the money? So yeah, there's a couple of things on this. So first and foremost, employers have the right and you'd have to also verify your state laws and work with your employment attorney on this. But yes, employers do have the right to go ahead and deduct from an employee's paycheck and um, any, if they have like, well, this one is accruing negative PTO, but we'll just stick with the paycheck. They are allowed to do so, so long as they have the right provisions in place. Some states will require you to have the document, have it, have that policy written in advance. They may require uh, signatures. They may require, you know, you may have to get special forms put into place. Here in Virginia, I know exactly what we need. <clears throat> and I can tell you right now that if you don't do it right, it's expensive to try and get back. So most employers who have the budget to, to do this um, will go ahead and, and allow the employee to not pay back any negative balance. And they'll put that in a, they'll put it in a bad debt column of their books okay it can get a little pricey but you know what to constantly go after employees who owe the organization money then that can be quite expensive it can also be expensive to allow employees to constantly do this but it may be less expensive than trying to take them through the legal process to get it back my recommendation is is that you have tight controls on allowing people to go into the negative okay if you want to make sure that your employees are taken care of, the big question that I would ask you, again, comes to that doing what's in the best interest of the employee and doing what's in the best interest of the employer. Is it your, is it your company culture to take care of your people to the detriment of your organization? And if so, that's your prerogative, and I'm not here to argue with that at all. I'm just here posing the question. Or are you of that mindset to where you want to do what's in the best interest of the employees, but you also need to look out for the other X number of employees on your staff, right? So you would probably be better served making sure that you put really tight controls in place if you're going to permit any employee to go into the negative as it pertains to, um, to this situation. 
And in addition to that, if they do go into the negative, make sure that you have it very clearly spelled out and then you get agreement ahead of time in writing using the proper forms, which you can get from your employment attorney, um, to make sure that you have the ability to recoup that, that, uh, those funds back. guys, we've got some webinars coming up um, for under trainhr.com. This is, these are some of the webinars that I actually deliver. Actually, all of them are. Uh, the next one is tomorrow, Thursday, April 16th, Building a Remote Work Culture. Uh, and again, you can find this on trainhr.com. You can also find links to these courses over on the bestpractices.work website on the dedicated coronavirus webpage. <clears throat> they are right up at the top. On April 21st at 1 p.m., you will find uh, the updated versioning, a version of managing a remote workforce through the coronavirus pandemic. On the 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're also going to have another preparing for a reduction in workforce uh, webinar. And on the 29th will be a new one uh, focusing on business continuity and the workforce uh, really being the new norm. So Mo is going to be posted on the bestpractices.com dedicated coronavirus webpage as well. Um, guys, you know I love your HR questions. Keep emailing them in. You guys ask me awesome questions all the time. You're welcome to submit your questions on the bestpractices.work website by clicking on the podcast from the link in the menu down towards the bottom of the podcast page. You'll find a submission form for you to post your questions and which may be read and answered on an upcoming episode. I also do have a little announcement. <clears throat> There's going to be more coming out. And uh, watch your email for this if you are signed up. If you're not signed up, I'm going to tell you how to uh, get my best practices delivered to your inbox in just a little bit. But if you remember a couple episodes ago, we had Suzanne Lucas on, who is also the evil HR lady who writes for Inc. Magazine. She's awesome. I've been watching her stuff for years. She and I have decided to do a weekly live YouTube show. That is going to kick off next Tuesday and is happening fast and furious. So it is a called uh, The Real HR Show. You can find it on YouTube. I'll be sending out links on social to it. It is going to kick off on Tuesday, April 21st. And what we are going to be talking about first really is how do you reintegrate back into the world after after or even while we're in the middle of the coronavirus. So um, we're going to keep bringing everything back to, you know, the topic of HR, but she's, she, we have a lot of fun together. She's a really great conversationalist and very bright, bright, bright individual. All right. So you can also find more information on the Next Gen Women in HR community. Next podcast episode is we're doing our HR roundtable with members from the community. So we've got about a half a dozen people coming in. It's going to be absolutely awesome. You've heard me talking about this for a while. It's a growing community. We're passing information. We're engaging in conversation. We're getting the word out there. We're helping people understand their people problems and their compliance issues. And you know what? They are a wonderful, great group of people. I really, really enjoy having them around and being a part of their world and having them a part of mine too. So we've been busy and we've been very active and we welcome you to come in. So jump over to Facebook. 
join us at uh, the Next Gen Women in HR community. When you come in to the group, we're going to ask you to answer a couple of questions. And, we, and this is a moderated group, which means that we want to make sure that the people are coming in are the people that really are HR professionals. Uh, they're ready to give value to the group. They're ready to accept value from the group as well. So um, every now and again, somebody will pop in and they want to come in. They'll not fill out the questions. I'll go ahead and request them to do it. They won't do it. And you know what? They don't come in. Or they come in with another agenda to share whatever piece of information and to market. And we, and we don't do that. I mean, this is a site specifically for HR champions. And that's what we want this to be. Now also is also the continuously growing HR membership site. And the HR membership site really is a nice, a great repository of all sorts of tools, videos. This is the place where you will be able to actually grab that easy access to solid information where you can actually perform the function of the role. Now this membership site is going to kind of change a little bit as it's coming up. Um, but right now we're in this growth phase. We're getting the right information hour. And you know what? It's very affordable too. I mean, seriously, you can jump in at two levels. You can come in at the enterprise level, which is a more richer, somebody has a more richer HR experience. Or if those of you who are just beginning, you can come in at the breakthrough level. Now, both levels are less than three cups of coffee a week. That's how affordable they are. And particularly, and that's a monthly cost. So can you imagine getting in vital information, helpful people, access to things that would take you a while to find, and it's accurate for less than three cups of coffee a week, but it will only cost you that amount for the whole month. That's the cost of the monthly subscription, less than three cups of coffee in, that you would spend in a week. So you guys are welcome to come over and join us. If you go to the bestpractices.org website, you'll see the Next Generation Women in HR uh, link, and that'll take you over to the membership site. So you guys can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also find me over on Instagram under Brenda the HR Lady. You can find me on LinkedIn and YouTube under Brenda Neckbottle. That's my last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And then you can also follow me on the bestpractices.org website. You can click, click connect at the top of the page. And that's where you can sign up and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. We don't spam you. I don't, uh, you know, throw in a lot of stuff all the time. We just want to make sure we get the most important information out there. So guys, look, thank you again for yet another really great episode. I hope this information is helping you guys hang in there. Seriously, hang in. We're getting through this. We're about ready to go through another shift. And the shift is actually, how do we return back to the real world? So how do we return back to life? This is not something where we're just going to say, okay, we're all done. And then we go back to doing what we do, right? We have to reintegrate. And so that is now going to take more forethought, more challenges coming our way, a lot of yeah, buts and what ifs and when we haven't gone through this yet, we're, you know, there's so much out there. So guys, just hang in there. Hang, hang, hang in there. Okay. You're not alone. And that's what this episode and the next episode is about. So join us, join me, join the group. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care of yourself. Have a good one.